my belief system is, is not a psychoanalytic one. So I just want to get the record clear on that. What is it? What is it? What is it? No, I'm, you know, going with the times and, and I'm interested in system theory and things like that. <laughs> Welcome to the Carlite Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since 2003. I'm Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlite Psychiatry Report. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric NP and a dedicated reader of every issue. When we left Sophie Freud in the last episode, the Nazi invasion of Austria had split her family in two. Her father, brother and grandfather, Sigmund, escaped to London and Sophie to Paris with her mother, Esty. And as Esty unpacked her belongings, a book fell to the floor. On the spine was printed four case studies by Sigmund Freud, but inside the case studies had been removed. In place of the clinical text were black and white photos of beautiful smiling women in various states of undress. It looked like a secret stash of vintage porn, except her husband Martin Freud was in many of the pictures. Martin had been carrying out affairs through their 19-year marriage. Sophie saw the photos as well and wrote about them in her diary as a 15-year-old. I cannot honor my father's taste. Among the ten little ladies I find two halfway nice. None of them can be compared by father with mother, and father grinned so terribly on all of them. I can imagine how these photos must have broken my mother's heart. They scream adultery. They leave me rather cold. Although they do give me heartbeat and sad feelings. I do know he is a free person and I am not here to judge him, and surely it was also mother's fault, but still, but still. Sophie rarely saw her father again. In her 2007 book, she writes him off as a cold, aloof man whose development was hindered by being the son of Sigmund Freud. Meanwhile, her mother kept trying to reconcile. She wrote to Sigmund Freud, who was suffering from jaw cancer and only had a few months to live, asking him to intervene as a sort of marriage counselor. Here is Sigmund Freud's reply. My dear Esty, I am so sorry that I cannot fulfill your wish. Lack of understanding between marital partners is nothing that can be changed through the intervention of a stranger. And even as the father himself is, in such cases, a stranger. It is something the two parties have to regulate among themselves. Freud tried to stay neutral, but could not help from taking sides as his letter continued. I only see one thing clearly, the reason for your estrangement, which you advance, that Martin no longer finds you pretty, cannot be the true one. I want to say, sounds absurd. Martin is no longer a beauty. You have stayed in better shape than most women of your age, and in your life phase, there are other things that play a larger role in the marital relationship than being pretty. I abstain from any partisanship, but I have the impression the reason is that you make your living together onerous. Sigmund Freud went on to admonish her hasty prejudgments about people and reprehensible fits of excitement that have spoiled many of your chances for more happiness. He described Esty in even harsher words in a letter to his son Ernst, calling her more than Meshuggah, 
a Yiddish word for a playful kind of crazy, he said, quote, She is not only maliciously machigana, but also mad in the medical sense. When the Nazis invaded France, Sophie fled with her mother to Casablanca and then to America. Upon her arrival, the New Yorker magazine's talk of the town announced, Sigmund Freud's granddaughter, a pretty girl of 18, has just arrived in New York City. Sophie has never been analyzed. Her grandfather didn't have the slightest interest in her dreams. Sophie wasted no time in New York, heading straight to Harvard University in Boston. Or at least, she would have gone to Harvard if they had admitted women back in 1942. So she went to Harvard's sister school, Radcliffe College, which was gradually absorbed by Harvard in the coming decades. Sophie figured she would become a psychoanalyst and signed up for an introductory course. Dynamic psychology is a very interesting course in which one learns a lot about Freud. But unfortunately, our teacher is deadly dull. When I mentioned my name, the whole class started to scream, and the teacher said, Could you spell that, please? Sophie's assignment in dynamic psychology was to write an autobiographical account of her life with prompts that were limited to sexual matters, like, When did you first masturbate? Did you ever watch sexual relations between your parents? She found the whole thing disgusting. From Radcliffe, Sophie went on to earn a master's and doctorate in social work and taught at Simmons College in Boston throughout her life. Therapist, author, and podcast host Rick Miller remembers her as a graduate student at Simmons College from 1983 to 1985. She was very candid and honest about life, about her life in particular. She was separated from her husband. And they lived in a one-floor house about 25 miles away from the campus in downtown Boston. And she said that she and her husband split. They put up a wall in the middle of the house. He lived on one side. She lived on the other side. And she was perfectly happy with that. And that she spent her weekends reading. And that's what made her life happy and complete. She would commute into Boston on, it was a moped or a motor scooter. And she was a character. I mean, she would be driving in rush hour traffic. She would wear this big silver spacesuit that probably kept her warm and a huge helmet and goggles. So here is this intellectual woman that had devoted her life to reading and intellectual pursuits. And she looked a little bit like a mad woman coming in with her motor scooter, and she always had this big smile on her face as she was doing so. So she may have enjoyed the way in which she stuck out, or she may have just been friendly as she was riding into school in her commute. I imagine she was quite comfortable on a motorcycle after the many miles she pedaled that bicycle through France to escape the Nazis. Sophie eventually gave up the motorcycle in her 70s, Reluctantly, but smartly so. As a psychiatrist, I don't see a lot of patient deaths. 
but the ones that I do see track right along with the high-risk activities on mortality stats, scuba diving, opioid use, and motorcycle accidents. Motorcycles account for 3% of all vehicles on the road, but 15% of all traffic fatalities, and most of those deaths cluster in those under age 30 and over age 65. When it came to health, Sophie lived an intentional life. She regularly exercised, swimming and jogging around Walden Pond near Boston, but she was also a believer in fate. I think that one has only 5% liberty in how to control one's life, she wrote. In her classes, Sophie taught both psychoanalytic and family system theories. She would have a, a kit of articles that she would assign us to read, and it was a curated selection of psychoanalytic articles that would take four months to get through, and they were like her favorite articles. Same thing with family systems. She, she did the same thing in the second semester. So at the beginning of the semester, the students would have to go to a Xerox store and have their kits Xeroxed. And again, the pile of articles from Sophie Freud Lowenstein was this big. And it always felt like a gift that she was giving us her heart in assigning us what to read. And it, it again, it covered the gamut. And she spent a great deal of time talking about social systems that are part of our lives and how that impacted people. The whole idea that was debated was the inner and outer space idea. You know, are people mostly damaged by their own fantasies and their own early childhood experiences, or are they damaged by averse social conditions? Some of the early feminist writings were about, you know, we are being messed over rather than messed up was the code word. In other words, resenting that if women had a housewife psychosis, that what was wrong with them was their inner space rather than that they were isolated and had become drudges and just couldn't bear it anymore, had a low social position, hadn't developed themselves properly and all that. So that one of the goals of the feminist therapists had been to redefine people's problems as more outer space and less inner space than it had been defined by psychodynamic theorists. And some feminist therapists would emphasize that the political education is part of therapy and others would not go that far. Sophie joined with many feminist scholars in criticizing her grandfather's view of women. At the heart of this debate is whether mental disorders stem from internal causes in the patient's psyche, their conflicts and fantasy life, or from external causes. Biology wasn't really on the table in this debate. To put it more directly in gender terms, the question was, were women seeking traditionally male pursuits because they had penis envy, or was it because they lived in a society that limited their options and treated them like second-class citizens? In an age when psychoanalysis was dominant, this debate tended to center around one of Sigmund Freud's most famous theories, the seduction theory. 
Some see it as the birth of psychoanalysis, others the suppression of real trauma. Freud, in his early days, was towards the end of the century. He had a theory that many of his women patients were disturbed because they had been violated in their young years. He was careful to accuse parents, uh, but by somebody who took care of them. And then he changed that early theory, which was a very exciting interpersonal theory, he changed it to saying that it really had been a fantasy that little girls have and the Oedipus complex and and, uh, all that, so that he retreated from the interpersonal theory to a fantasy inner space theory. As Freud was developing his psychotherapeutic technique in the 1890s, Shifting from hypnosis to free association talk therapy, he heard patient after patient describe stories of sexual abuse in their childhood. At first, he thought these were factual accounts of real abuse. But as the stories piled up, he found it hard to believe that sexual abuse was so ubiquitous in Viennese society. So he pivoted, concluding that they were fantasies concocted by an unsettled imagination. Some patients, he conceded, may have been abused, but that was not the cause of their problems. Neurosis, he believed, was caused by a conflict between the child's sexual desires and their need to repress those desires as they grew up. Freud's ideas quickly got him into trouble with the medical establishment, but not because he was denying childhood trauma. Just the idea that children have sexual feelings was abhorrent to Victorian society, even though Freud got this idea from empirical sources. Other turn-of-the-century physicians, like Samuel Lindner and Wilhelm Steckel, had described sexual behaviors in young children. Today, the controversy has turned the other way. It is the denial of childhood sexual abuse that is controversial here, and this is where Sophie Freud stepped in. If somebody has been violated as a child to then, when they are trying to talk about it, to to label it a fantasy, would be the kind of invalidation that we have been complaining about. Sigmund Freud's ideas evolved over the half a century that he wrote about psychoanalysis. Before he died, he admitted to some self-doubt, leaving the door open for his daughter, the child psychoanalyst Anna Freud, and his granddaughter Sophie. That is all I have to say to you about femininity, he wrote in 1933. It is certainly incomplete and fragmentary, and does not always sound friendly. If you want to know more about femininity, inquire about your own experiences of life, or turn to poets, or wait until science can give you deeper and more coherent information. Most of Freud's descendants settled in England, including a famous painter, Lucian Freud, and several politicians, novelists, and BBC talking heads. Sophie's was the branch that made it to the U.S., and her legacy continues here. Her daughter, Dania Jekyll, 
recently stepped down as executive of the Asperger Autism Network in Watertown, Massachusetts. Her other daughter, Andrea Freud Lowenstein, is a novelist. Her son, George Lowenstein, studies the psychology of economic behavior at Carnegie Mellon University. And she has five grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. The audio you heard of Sophie Freud was generously provided by the Milton Erickson Foundation, whose online library hosts thousands of therapy lectures at catalog.erickson-foundation.org. That's Erickson with a C-K, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Actually, I've had an extremely good life. People have been very kind to me and so on, so I don't think... You should think of it as a life of suffering. I I don't, that would be presumptuous. One should never claim more suffering than one actually has had. Now for the moment you've been waiting for, a preview of the CME quiz for this episode, which you can earn through the link in the show notes. True or false? In the early 1900s, Sigmund Freud created controversy by suggesting that neurotic disorders were rooted in childhood sexual trauma. Like the podcast? Review us in your podcast store. We read every one of them. And get $30 off your first year subscription to The Carlat Report with the promo code PODCAST. And thank you for helping us stay free of commercial support. 